Hebrews chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. Uh, we, we've begun walking through the book of Hebrews the last couple of weeks, and we, we have finished chapter 1. And the, the interesting, interesting thing about chapter 1 is that throughout the entire chapter, there is not one single command, not in the whole chapter. There's, we, we preach through the whole first chapter, and not once does the author say, you should do this, or you should not do this, you should start doing this, or you should try to do this. All he says in the whole first chapter is that God has spoken to us through his son Jesus, and that Jesus is greater than all that is, all angels, all prophets, that Jesus is enough. And this sacred literature of ours has, has said that Jesus has made a way for us to walk in wholeness. Jesus has made a way for us to find forgiveness of our sins. And, 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 and Jesus has made a way to make us whole. And that's all we've said so far. That's what the whole first chapter of Hebrews is really all about. The fact that Jesus has spoken about this powerful message. And his, because he is the messenger, the message is... Is, uh, and he's greater than angels, greater than prophets, that we, we, we need to hear this. And that's what leads us to chapter 2. And uh, chapter 2 talks about basically what we're going to be looking at today. It tells us, since we have a message like this, from a messenger like this, we should pay attention. Pay attention. That, that's really what he's saying to us. So let's look at chapter 2. Uh, before, we, before we even read it, though, let's uh, just bow our heads and just ask for the Lord's blessing. Lord... As we look in your word, we come before it with fear and trembling in the sense, Lord God, that we know that this is holy, that this is your word, that you have inspired this, this, the passage of scripture we're looking at today. And Lord, there's, it would be foolish and arrogant for me as a human to think that somehow I can, in my human strength, be able to explain this inspired word of God to these people. But Lord, somehow... I know what you can do is that you can somehow, by your spirit, make it come alive and you can, you can uh, uh, anoint these words and you can say things to us and speak to us in ways that, uh, that, I, that a human could never possibly do. Because God, you can speak to us deep in our innermost being and that's what we're asking for today. And Lord, I'm asking that you would speak to us past the level of our intellect and past the level of, of our emotion, but deep in our innermost spirit, man. Speak to us, God, and I pray you would help us to examine our lives and hear what you're saying to us, and we, we believe you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. As we read the book of Hebrews, one of the things I notice is that, that the writer of Hebrews sort of has this angst about, uh, about uh, how he's going to communicate this, this message. Uh, Right now, he's, as we just read, he's saying, pay attention. Okay, pay attention to this. Don't miss this. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. And then in chapter 3, he's going he's gonna to say, consider this. Don't miss what I'm saying. And then in, in chapter 12, he comes back and he's going to say, hey, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Pay attention. You don't let things slip by. And so there's this, there's a sort of an angst to get this point across. And he's not sure if his hearers or if his readers are really following her, you know, and, and I can understand that. When, when you think about it, what preachers do and what flight attendants do aren't really that far different, that much different than each other. Uh, we're, we're trying to get you to safety and show you how to make it out alive, and no one seems to care, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, I mean, like, 
on an airplane, you know, you're like, you need, you, you, you need to buckle up and, and they're saying, you need to, here's how you buckle your seatbelt. They even show you how to buckle your seatbelt. And then they say, here's the exit rows. And then nobody cares, right? I mean, they, they're, everybody's got their earbuds in, they're listening to music, and they're, or they're reading their magazine, or they're, or they're talking to somebody. I mean, honestly, nobody pays attention to the flight attendant, or, or now the video that they often show on, the, on these flights. Nobody listens to them. And the thing is, all that that person is trying to do is get you out alive, right? That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to get you off of that plane alive, hopefully at the next destination. And in a lot of ways, that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you out of here alive, not to church. I'm talking about life. I'm, I'm trying to get you out of here alive. I'm trying to get you out of here unhurt, unscathed, uh, and, and, uh, and with the freedom that Christ brings. So uh, anyone who's ever tried to teach the way of Jesus knows that, that a great deal of the crowd uh, is, is simply listening to Spotify or they're testing, texting somebody or they're, or they're nodding their head in agreement without ever really listening to what's being said. That's the struggle that we have. Honestly, the biggest struggle I have as a, as a preacher is I wish I could make you do things. You know what I'm saying? Any parents here understand what I'm saying? I wish I could make choices for you. I wish I could help you understand clearly what I preach on, from Sunday to Sunday and Wednesday to Wednesday in our Bible study and, and say, here, do this now. I wish I could do that, but that's the struggle of preaching that I have to, I, I've learned a long time ago, I can't be the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who, who does that and he takes, talks to us. And I learned a long time ago that I can't be the Holy Spirit because when, when I try to play the part of the Holy Spirit, just, people just get mad, right? When when I go to somebody and try to be the Holy Spirit and say, hey, you know, this, this thing you got going on, this sin, you need to deal with this. They just get mad at me. But the Holy Spirit does it, people repent. So it's better to let him do that. But, but the, that's what the writer of Hebrews is going through. He's, he's, he's going to say, pay attention. He's going to say, don't miss this. And he's trying to get across the importance of this. And there's some urgency in what he's about to say here. And there's even, even almost a, a certain level of sorrow in what he's saying through the book of Hebrews saying, hey, pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to this salvation that he's offered. Don't skip over it. Don't take this lightly. This is not a game. No, don't neglect it. Pay attention to Jesus and his salvation. But I think the question that we need to ask today is why? And this is what he answers in Hebrews chapter 2, the first part here. Why should we pay attention to Jesus and his salvation? Well, the good news is I don't have to make up anything here. The text is going to take us there. So there are several things. So let's take a look at what we read already. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved it to be reliable. Now listen to the next part. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So, okay, here's what's happening. There's something big happening here. Uh, and sometimes, it's like other places in, in Scripture, sometimes there's something big happening, but it doesn't look like there's something big going on. Uh, but, but here's what, what just happened here is that the writer who, by the way, is very Jewish and he's writing to a Jewish audience. That's why it's called Hebrews, because he's writing to these Jewish Christians. And he writes in this point, in this place, and he points back 
to the law. He's, he's saying, okay, listen, if you break the law in the past, if you, if you break the law, then you were punished. Every violation of God's law carries with it a, a justice, a, a retribution. So he's referencing the law. But the question for us is, why would he say, in response to the question, why do we need to pay attention to Jesus? Why would he say, pay attention to Jesus because of the law? Well, let's just check that out, see what we can find. So keep your finger here, and we're going to come right back to it. But, but I want you to flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Deuteronomy 6, 1. So why pay attention to Jesus? Why pay attention to this salvation that our sins can be removed, that, our, uh, that wholeness can be had, that healing can be, can be uh, received? So Deuteronomy 6, 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. And that, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, all right, so we'll stop there. We could go further, but now, pay attention. Why, why pay attention to Jesus? Why give Jesus any kind of attention at all? Why pay attention to this salvation? Why do that? Well, he references the law in, in Hebrews chapter 2, and, and we see here that at the giving of the law, I want you to notice that the law was given so that God might be able to lead his people into life. Because of what does he say there? So he said, listen, if you'll do these things, if you'll walk in my ways, then I'm going to bless you. If you follow me, if you live the way I'm commanding you to live, I'm going to bless you. And if you go on in the chapter, you'll read where he says, and if you don't, things are going to go very badly for you. It's going to go horribly wrong if you don't walk in my ways. See, what we need to understand is the entire Old Testament is a testimony. That's what testament means, really. It's a covenant, but it's also a testimony. The entire Old Testament is the testament, is the testimony that if you listen to God and if you follow his ways, if you follow Jesus, you are blessed. But if you don't, things go badly for you. Isn't that what we see over and over and over again in all the stories of the Old Testament? People who follow God and they're blessed. People who, who disobey God and Israel goes into, into, into Babylon. So you see it over and over again. And by the way, what I'm talking about here is not prosperity. Don't misunderstand me today. Don't, go, don't say to yourself, okay, if I follow Jesus, then I'm going to be wealthy and I'm never going to struggle and I'm never going to be sick and I'll never have this. That's, that's absurd. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, let me put it this way. It's just a simple way to un un explain this. I, I brought a couple things here. Um, anybody here hungry? Anybody here hungry? Okay, well, if you're hungry, anybody here want to eat some raw flour? No, 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 nobody wants to eat raw flour, huh? Uh, well, the, the answer to that is no, always, right? Nobody's like, man, I'm craving a mouthful of processed white flour. Nobody says that at all, right? Okay, all right, let me, let me try this one then. Anybody here want to eat some raw eggs? 
You know, now I know, listen, uh, you know, again, unless you're like a freak show muscle head, you know, then who thinks that swallowing eggs is a good thing. The answer is probably for most of us, no, right? You, you don't want to do that. All right. How many of you, how many of you would like a, to take a swig of, of vanilla extract? No, no, you don't want that. Well, I mean, listen, anybody that said yes, I would be referring you for counseling right now because there's something wrong in your head if you want to drink it by itself. But, but let me ask you this. Is there anybody here that likes to eat cake? Why? That's the, boy, that's the best reaction we've had in a long time. I need to bring up cake more often. Listen, I mean, some of you are now, you hear that, you're like, I want some cake. I want some cake. Where's the cake? I want cake. But... Uh, but here's the thing, the cake has flour, the cake has vanilla extract, the cake has eggs. You can't have the cake without the other stuff, right? So I'm not promising you that you won't have to eat some flour in life. I'm not promising that you're not going to have bad things happen in your life. But I am saying that when all of these things put together, the Lord has a way of putting them together and bringing something good out of it. I am saying that in the end we get cake, right? You following me? So, so why pay attention to Jesus? Well, because he's not your enemy. He's not your enemy. He, because he says, I want to bless you. Follow me because I want to bless you. And if you'll follow me, you'll receive the blessing of God. And again, I'm not saying you won't have to eat flour once in a while when you're following Jesus. I'm saying that in the end, you get cake. That, that's what I'm saying. All right, so let's keep, keep looking. Let's, let's read that again and add verse 3 to it, and we'll, we'll just keep adding pieces onto the puzzle as we go. Therefore, we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. I, I, that verse just, I'm not going to talk about it today, but that verse is so powerful that we need to pay attention. He says we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. There's an implication there that we have a tendency to drift Anybody here have a tendency to drift? Yeah, we all do. I mean, that's, that's that, that old song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We're, we're all that way. And that's why he's saying, listen, because we have this in us, we need to pay much closer attention. When you find yourself drifting, when you realize, when you say, man, I'm not as close to the Lord as I used to be, then I need to pay attention to that. I need to pay attention to the message. I need to pay attention to the salvation. I can't just gloss it over and keep trying to do the church thing. Well, that's free of charge. That's not even in the notes. So we won't even take a second offering. So, so consider yourself blessed. Verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received the just retribution. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, this next line here, I want you to see some of these things that he, we're going to keep adding to the puzzle. He says, it was declared at first by the Lord. Now, that is a pretty huge piece because here, here's what it just said. It just told us that your salvation, you being forgiven of your sins, you being made whole, you being healed, that that was all God's idea. And that's a pretty huge piece right there because our culture sees God as, as being far from humanity and they see him as the enemy. Isn't that the truth? 
They see him as somebody who doesn't want us smiling. He doesn't want us to have real life. He doesn't want us to have a lot of joy in us. They see him as someone who's cranky and mean. But according to scripture, salvation, healing, wholeness, they're all God's idea. They're all God's idea. It was Jesus who knew all of your sin, past, present, and future. And he still came to you. And he said, I offer you salvation. I offer you forgiveness of your sins. I offer you wholeness. I offer you healing. This thing is Jesus' idea. So that's another reason why we need to pay attention. Because this was his idea. Why pay attention? Because the offer doesn't come, as we talked about last week, doesn't come from mere, mere man. The offer doesn't come from some prophet or some apostle or some angel. The offer comes from God himself. God himself says, come be healed, come be made whole, come uh, be forgiven, and, and come be made right before, before God. It says that Jesus spoke it first, but then it says that he spoke it and that there were those who heard it. So let's read verses 3 and 4. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Okay, so he says, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. He's referring to the fact here that there were many, many people who were witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and, and, and they followed him all the way up until their death. And here's the amazing thing. Not one of them is recorded in history as ever having recanted what they were, what they were believing. This is one of the most powerful evidences for the resurrection of Jesus to me is that, is that people say, well, the disciples stole the body. They knew he wasn't really raised. But here, here's what I've, lear- I've come to learn. I, I believe that, that, uh, that, that men will at times die for what they believe to be the truth, even if what they believe is false. Isn't that right? But I have never known anybody who would die for something that they knew to be false especially when there is no gain for them. Because these disciples, they didn't get rich from following Jesus. These early followers of Christ, they were shunned. They were, they were you know, kicked out of the homes. They were robbed. They were beaten. They were thrown into prison. They suffered these things. And yet, when it comes down to it, at the end of their life, not one of the apostles said, hey, you know what? I was just kidding. Not one of them. And that's pretty significant because most of them not only died, but most of them died very badly, like boiled alive badly. And not one of them said, no, no, it's, I, it, was not, it was not true. Not one of them. But, but when you look at these things, here's the, you know, even if you have no religious background, you have to do something with Jesus, man. You can't just ignore him. You have to do something. I mean, he, he's, the, he's the most famous, most popular man that ever walked the face of the, of the earth. There's been more written about him that, than any other man who's ever lived. There have been more philosophies spun off of his life than anyone else's. And, and there's even the, the weird stuff about this whole thing, like, like, like people stubbing their toes and screaming out his name. That, that's, a, that's weird. That's a weird deal, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that? Out of all the names in history that somebody would stub their toes and they would shout out his name, 
I mean, we're not like getting up in the middle of the night and stubbing our toe, you know, boom, and going, oh, Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> you, ever, you ever thought about that? That's a weird thing. Why would they pick his name? Why would you have to do something? There's something different about him. There's something different about him. I mean, it's just you have to do something with him. All right, so can we just, uh, just be straight up with each other? Let's, let's just, all, for, for all time, let's just retire the old he was a good man thing. Because, I mean, you're going to have to do better than that. If, especially if you're a thinker, please don't. That's really tired. It's really, really lame. Uh, you know, people say, oh, he was a good man. He's a good philosopher. Now, I don't believe a thing he said, but he called himself, because he called himself the Son of God. And he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through him. But he was a good man and a good teacher and good philosopher. No, you can't, you can't do that. There just aren't many options. Either you have to believe that he's an absolute loon, or you have to believe that he's the Son of God. Because you could believe that he was a liar, but then if you believed he was a liar, then he wouldn't be a good man. Right? I don't know what other option there is if you believe that he was good. But, but you cannot say he's a good man, he's a good teacher, and then say that you don't believe anything that he said or that he taught. That's just not being honest with God or it's not being honest with yourself. You, you, you have to do something with Jesus because there are all of these men and women who saw what happened. They walked the, the earth with him. They saw his death. They saw him after he was raised from the dead. And, and all, of them, all of them gave their lives for him. And when all they had to do was say, no, we made it up. So why pay attention to this gospel? Well, because God, first of all, painted a portrait with Israel to show us that if you follow him, then he'll bless you. Why follow him? Because the invitation and healing comes from God. Why follow him? Because we have these eyewitnesses that, that, that gave witness to the fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And then look at the last line, and we'll chat some more about this. Look at verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord and attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. All right. Here's what I want, I want you to I want to point out. One of the most compelling things about Jesus to me is that there seems to be absolutely no blueprint, no fingerprint for who follows him. It doesn't matter the language. It doesn't matter the socioeconomic Status. It doesn't matter if you're talented or untalented. It doesn't matter if you're pretty or ugly. Across all lines, there are people who love him deeply. And that is very compelling to me. I remember sitting in the church in Reno when God was doing something really, really uh, amazing and spectacular in this particular subculture in Reno with these you know, these uh, rockers, I mean, I mean, I don't know what, what they would call themselves, but, but I mean, they were all, had, they had more tattoos than they had skin. I didn't even know that was possible, but they did. And, and you know, piercings everywhere. And God started doing something. They started bringing them to our, our church. And I remember watching, and I saw this, this uh, lady that was the founding pastor's wife who was sitting there very, very 
old-fashioned, very conservative Pentecostal woman. She, and I saw her sitting there and, and loving on some guy that, that walked in that didn't look like anybody else. He had a completely different background, completely different history. And he walked into that church and they loved him. And that person gave their life to Christ. And, and I'm amazed. That's so compelling to me that people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of, of have all kinds of different issues and different viewpoints that, that Jesus can bring us all together. That's powerful. There's, there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. There's no place in the world where that happens like it happens in the church. And that's so compelling. Like, listen, if it was just rich white folks, that'd be one thing. But if it was just uneducated people, that's one thing. But it's not. It's across every line that you can think of. I mean, think about this. You, you look, even here today, you look out across the people are here. What do we have in common? Well, you, you're way ahead of me. Come on, let me preach the, to that part before you say it, okay? But I mean, you're looking around, I mean, what do we have in common? Some of us got saved when we were six, and some of us when we were 46. You know, some of us have lived, lived life very, very hard, and it's, it's sort of just kicked the trash out of you. And, and for some of us, you had basically a scrape on the knee or two, and that's about it. It's been, other than that, it's been pretty, pretty clear sailing. Some of us, Jesus pulled us out of addiction of drugs. And for other, others of us, the, 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 the strongest drug you've ever taken is NyQuil. Right? Some of us were controlled by alcohol and some of us have never even had a drop of liquor. Some of us grew up in homes that taught the goodness of Jesus and a lot of us didn't. Some of us have plenty of money. But most of us are just barely scraping by. And yet, here we are today. You know what? You can go into, into churches all across the nation that do church very, very differently than we do. Not wrong, just differently. You can go into a church that's a little more liturgical, but you'll find people there that love Jesus. You can go into a church that's, that's uh, maybe a little, a little wilder than what we do. And, and there will be people that love Jesus. What do we all have in common? You know, I mean, I've, listen, you've probably been there. I've been in services before that frustrated me because they were, in some ways, they were, you know, that frustrated me because they were so different than what I preferred. And, and, and I, I would ask myself, man, what do we have in common? What do we have in common? And after a while, when, you, when you've done that, the, the, the Holy Spirit just kind of, you know, knocked me upside the head and said, uh, Jesus said, uh, me? Me, that's, that's what you have in common, dummy. Me. The, the transforming power of Jesus, the miraculous wonder of Jesus, continuing to shape and mold regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of what your background may be, regardless of what sins you may have committed, regardless of any of those things, that is compelling. Why well, pay attention to Jesus? Because... God wanted you to know that if you follow him, he'll bless you. So he painted a picture, painted a portrait of that in Israel because God is the one who in invited you into the salvation. He's not your enemy. He continues uh, to this day to transform and to save. And he goes through these things. But then there's this question that he asks that, that, that he just kind of puts it out there and just sort of lets it linger. He doesn't do anything with it. It's, it's really a hard question. 
It's not a condemnation. It's just a real honest question. But look at it with me. Uh, verse 2 again. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and, very, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Okay, so let's, let's be straight with each other. Let's be honest here. You and I are guilty. Bottom line, you're guilty, I'm guilty, all of us have sinned, all of us have blown it, and if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, I don't know, I think I'm, I'm really not that bad, well, let's just, just do an experiment, and let's just take the Ten Commandments, for example, and lay your life over those and, and, and see how we're doing. So let me, let's just go take a, a, few, a, a little informal survey here. Have you lied? Has anybody in this place lied? Anybody here lying? Okay. If you said no, then, then that's at least your second lie, right? <laughs> we know that for sure. Uh, so you're a liar, right? You're a liar. You say, well, no, I'm not a liar. Well, have you lied? How many lies does it take to make you a liar? Just, just one. If I tell one lie, I'm a liar. All right. Let, let's, let's look at another commandment. Have you ever put anything else before God? Have you found other things more valuable than God at every, any point in your life? Absolutely you have. Have you, have you coveted? Anybody here coveted? You, you, you sure have. I guarantee it. There has been some point in your life where you wanted what someone else had and you were not happy that they had it and that you didn't. Some point in life. Have you murdered? And everybody's like, phew. Except for maybe well, like one guy in the back row was like, so what? You know, <laughs> you know so you, you say, I haven't murdered. But, but then we go back and we read the New Testament and see Jesus changed all the rules. And he's going to go back to heart over action. And Jesus is, when he changes the rules, he, he says, if you don't do an action, but your heart is there, then you're no better off. So Jesus is going to say, you, you, you've seen it written that, that uh, do not murder, but I say that if you have hate in your heart, you've committed the sin already. So are, are you a murderer? Yeah, uh-oh. You and I are guilty. There's, listen, let me just break from proper grammar for a moment and just say, ain't no way around it. And listen, you, you can buy into all kinds of different ways and different ideas of, of trying to deal with your guilt. You know, you can buy into the, okay, all right, I'll admit it. I know I've done some bad things. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do some good things. And in the end, if the good outweighs the bad, then everything will work out for me. Or you can, you can buy into that whole, uh, the whole lie that says God is love and everybody's going to get into heaven. We talked a little bit about that on Wednesday night's Bible study. You can buy into, into the, to the line that says there are many roads that all lead to God, which is always just just most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. I mean, that'd be like saying, well, we're going to Disneyland to, for vacation. Oh, yeah, what, what's your path? We don't know. We're just going to start driving because all roads lead to Disneyland. No, you're not going to find Disneyland that way. You've you got to know the right path. And so it's just foolish to say all roads lead, lead to, to heaven. But, but here's the problem with all of those things, all of those philosophies. You have absolutely no scripture that supports any of it. 
The, the, the only thing that's telling you, uh, the only thing that's, that's telling you any of those philosophies will work is the same sinful mind that's already made you a liar, a thief, and a killer. And you might not want to trust that old mindset anymore. I mean, just between you and me, you might not want to trust the lying murderer anymore. Right? Or, or, or and maybe you should just trust some other outside truth to help you. So, so here's the question he asked. It's a heavy question. As I said, it's not a threat. It's a question. He says, since we are guilty, okay? Because we already know we are guilty. Since we are guilty, what are we going to do if we neglect this offer of forgiveness? This offer of wholeness, this offer of healing. What are you going to do? Where else are you going to go? How else are you going to handle this guilt? What other route are you going to take? This is, this is the offer from the one who is beyond, behind all things. Uh, we're told all things were created by Him, for Him. He is greater than all that is. This is the offer that is from Him. His offer is let me bless you, let me heal you, let me bring wholeness to your life, let me wipe away your sin. This is the offer that goes out from this God. Now he's saying, now what are you going to do? How are you going to handle your guilt? How are you going to get rid of it if you say no to that? What other recourse do you have? And, and why would you say no to that? How are you going to fix yourself? How are you going to fill that half-empty tank called your soul? Because that's what you're trying to do. You've been trying to fill it with all these other things. And every time you get something new or you try something different, a drug or alcohol or, or sex or materialism, every time you try it, it kind of feels good for a minute. But then you, you suddenly you turn around and you realize, man, I'm still just as empty as I was before. What steps are you going to take? What do you do if you neglect this great offer from Christ? Because listen, it's, it's not like saying... Hey, don't neglect your lawn. I got a brown spot in my lawn. I've been neglecting it a little bit, but that's not what he's saying. It's not like he's saying something like, hey, don't neglect your ramen noodles because they're, they're good for you. <laughs> they're not really, but it's not, it's, like, it's not like he's saying anything like that. It's, he's talking about something really important. It's, it, it'd be more like saying, hey, don't neglect your baby's smile. You know, you, when you, like when your baby gets to the age where where he or she smiles if you poke their noise, poke their nose and make a make a weird noise with it, you know, yeah, that that stage, and and so you end up poking their nose, all, no, poking their nose. That is really hard to say, <laughs> poking their nose all the time because you, you want to see the smile and you want to hear the giggle. We don't we don't neglect things like that, be, be, and we want to do it as often as possible because we realize this is valuable, this is important, this is something I want to remember, this is something I want to cherish. So you end up doing it until your baby has a nosebleed, right? I mean, you don't neglect those kind of things because it's this really beautiful thing, a really beautiful moment. He's saying, don't neglect this unbelievably beautiful gift that God is offering to us. Don't neglect being loved by God. Why would you neglect that? Don't neglect being loved by God. Don't neglect having sins wiped out. Don't neglect having the, the wrath of God removed from your life and replaced by the reconciling smile of Jesus himself. Why? Why would you ever neglect that? And that's the angst that's in the writer of Hebrews because these people that he's writing to are falling away. They're, 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 they're doubting whether or not Jesus' blood can cover the sins 
since they've been saved and, and, and they're considering going back to the Old Testament laws and religion to try to find a new way to find this salvation. And he's saying, what are you doing? Where else are you going to go? There's no other message like this. There's no other messenger like Jesus. Where, where else could you go? What other options do you have? Where are you going to go to get a great salvation like this? Where else are you going to go to find free, this free gift of salvation that, that not only covers your present reality, but also has the, the power to forgive even those sins that I'm going to commit in the future, that His blood is strong enough to deal with even those things? Where are you going to get a better deal than this? Where are you going to get another opportunity from the God of the universe who's invited you with His own mouth? The God who knows you, who knows your shortcomings, who knows your failures, and still says, I want to bless you. Me? Yeah, you. I want to bless you. Come on, follow me. Come on, follow me. Well, Jesus, do I have to eat some flour? Yeah, probably. But there's cake in the end. Come on. Come on. Why are you, are you neglecting such a great salvation? We're going to close with this. You know, I'm wondering how many of us in this room and those watching on the live stream, how, how many of you, your life just sort of parallels Israel? I'm, what I mean is I'm wondering how many of you have had that moment where you're, you're so close to Jesus, you're so beautifully aligned with the inner reality of Jesus. You've had that moment, you've experienced that salvation and, and, and things were moving, things were stirring. God has delivered you miraculously just like He did Israel. All these things, but somewhere along the way you realize that God was kept moving this way and you just sort of drifted off and started going a different direction. And you realize, man, I'm not where I need to be. Why are you, why are you neglecting that? Why would you walk away from that? For, for what? For what? Don't neglect it. This, it's too big. It's too beautiful. It's too great of a salvation. And I'm also wondering how many people listening to this today, how many of you might have never even really tried it? Now, you may have tried church, but you need to know trying Jesus is not the same thing as trying church. Because coming to church doesn't save you. Coming to church doesn't make you Christian. Not any more than being in a garage makes you a car. No, it's following Jesus. It's making decision. You know, maybe, maybe you know, you've, you've been intrigued by this whole Jesus thing for a while and you've heard us talking about it and, and, you, and you see the things that we do here. And, and maybe when I talk about Jesus, something stirs in you and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I want that. Man, I, I want that. You, you know, the truth is, at one point in my life, I sat out there and, and heard some guy yell like I'm yelling today. And I was like, man, I need that. I, I want that. I, I, I want to be that. I, I, I want to know that. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're watching on the live stream. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're here and you know him. You, you are walking with him, but you just sort of neglected this salvation. You're not giving Him honor. You're not giving Him the center of your day. 
And I, I say the center because it, we, we often say put God first, and that's true. But the problem is here in America, we, are, we, are, uh, we kind of like our lists. So we put, we put God first, and then we say, okay, that means I'm going to have my, my quiet time first, check it off, then I'm going to leave that behind. Instead, we need to think that he's the center of everything. In every part of my life, it's like a, a bicycle wheel. And Jesus is at the center in that hub. And, and all of these different parts of my life, these different spokes all come out from him. They're all connected to him. So work, family, church, community, service, all these things. It's all about Jesus in the center. So maybe you know him, but you've just been neglecting that. The question is, what are you doing? He's saying, hey man, follow me so I can bless you. So here, here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to ask Mary Beth to come. I'm, I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to, I'll just tell you right now, I'm not going to give you a formal dismissal. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to say amen. But I'm going to ask you that maybe, 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 because listen, I actually shortened this message a little bit. It's not even noon yet. You can still beat the Baptist to the steakhouse. All right, but, but maybe, maybe we just don't rush out to get in line at the restaurant. Maybe we just take some time and linger in his presence and pray. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe, maybe you need to repent. My, my, my brothers, my sisters in here, my family, maybe you need to repent. Maybe you've been neglecting this great salvation. Maybe you've been taking advantage of it. And, or, or maybe you're in here today and you're saying, you know, I want that pastor day, but I have no clue what to do. I'm, I'm living with this person, and I know that the Bible says that's sin. I'm doing this on weekends. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm addicted to drugs or alcohol. I've abused the people in my life who have trusted me. I've just I've messed up my whole life. I have all these issues. I want that. I want that badly, Pastor Dave, but, but I want you to know, I just think I'm too broken. I just think I'm too broken. Well, you know what? It just so happens. And this is the greatest part of the whole deal. It just so happens that God prefers broken, jacked up people. He just seems to like them. He seems to be drawn to us because he's a God of healing. So there's great news on that front. If you want to know where to begin, you say, I want this, but I don't know what to do. Here's the thing. You don't begin by changing this, 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 and that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you begin by saying, hey, I need some help, Jesus. Wait, Jesus, will you help me? I've made a mess of my life. I have sinned. Please help me. I can't fix it. I know I can't fix it. Will you heal me? Will you save me? Will you make me clean? That's where you start. You don't start by saying, well, I'm going to get this, this, and this in order. You know what that's like? That'd be like saying, man, I need to get cleaned up so I can take a shower. You don't get cleaned up to take a shower. You take a shower to get cleaned up. 
You don't get things in order and get cleaned up to come to God. You come to God to get cleaned up. He does it. So you have this great offer. It's called the, new, the good news. And I, I just pray that it would be alive in you today. And so I join the author of Hebrews now. And I, and I just say, oh, please, please, please pay attention to this salvation. Don't take it for granted. Don't float through life. Don't just attend church and raise your hands and even shout at the right times. Pay attention to this message. Pay attention to this salvation. Make Jesus the center of your life. And if he is not, and as I said before, maybe today it starts by repentance. Saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've got things out of whack. Got things out of order. I've been doing my own thing in these other parts of my life and just try to compartmentalize you and I'm sorry for that. I want you to be the center of everything. So we're going to close. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment and I don't know what you need to do. I'm not going to play the part of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to try to tell you what you need to do because I think we, the Bible says, my, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So I think you already know what he's saying to you. And, and I want you to be careful to understand that's not a voice of condemnation, even if he's convicting you of something. It's a voice of beckoning. It's a voice saying, come back to those things you did at first. Come back to me. Come back to your first love. Draw close to me because I haven't gone anywhere. It's kind of like the story about the old man and old woman who are driving down the road in a pickup truck. And it was one of those old pickup trucks that had the big bench seat all the way across. And, and they're driving down the road. And, the, and the, 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 the old lady said to her husband, they've been married for decades. And she said, you know, I don't know what's happened to us. And he said, what do you mean, dear? And he said, well, he said, well, she said to him, she said, well, you know, we used to, when we were first married, we'd be driving down the road and, and I'd be right there and we'd be so close and I'd be just snuggling into you. And he, she said, here we are years later and look at all this distance between us. And the old man looked at her and said, well, all I can say is I haven't moved. And I think the Lord says to us sometimes when we say, Lord, I feel so far from you. He says, well, I haven't moved. Maybe it's time to draw near. He said if we would draw near to him, he would draw near to us. So all it takes is you begin to take that first step and he, like the prodigal's father, he comes running. He says, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. So it's not a voice of condemnation. It's an invitation to come home. That's what's going on today. So here's what we do. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask Mary Beth, after I pray, you can just lead us in a, in a chorus and these altars will be open or you can sit where you are or you can kneel where you are or whatever you, but I'm just asking you just to pay attention to what the Lord is saying to you and don't leave today until he's finished with what he wants to do. Some of you, that'll take two minutes. Some of you, it may take an hour. I don't know. But just don't leave until he's done. Don't cut it short. That would be 
neglecting. That would be not paying attention. So I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. And Lord, I, I do feel the angst. I, I feel the, 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 the anguish today of just wanting so much for these people, wanting so much for this church, and, and, and yet knowing the sin and the secrets and the pride that must be in the room today and must be on, in, the, in those that are watching in the live stream. I, I just come before you, God. I thank you that you love us and that you extend to us a chance for salvation and for healing, for wholeness, for right standing with you. And God, I just, I just pray that we would not neglect that today. I pray that you'd give us a spirit of desire to know you and to walk with you deeply, that, 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 that we might return to those things that we did at first, that we would come back to our first love. And Lord, I pray for those that maybe just sort of kind of, I guess, flirting with you, Lord, and, and just sort of checking you out. I pray that, that you would bring clarity to them today and that your invitation to them would, to, to this great and beautiful salvation would be clear. I thank you, Lord, for all that you are, all that you do, and all that you are in us. Help us to surrender to you, Jesus. Help us to believe in the deep parts of our soul that you really long to bless us and to get us to the table where maybe we can get some cake. Lord, I just pray you'd help us just to trust you, just to, to do what you've called us to do. What, to let you do what you want to do in us today. Lord, help us not to get in a rush, not to get in a hurry. But God, that we would hear your voice and we won't neglect that. We'll pay attention to what you're saying. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.